Well, good morning, Evergreen. It's great to be here this morning. It's great to look at the scriptures together. I also want to give a warm welcome to anyone who is online watching us from far away or maybe from in town, who knows. Um, it's so important that we make meeting with each other a priority because we're meant to grow in community. I don't know about you, but often I find if, even though I've been an introvert, if I'm alone for too long, I begin to become insular. I begin to kind of become too focused on myself. And so I find it so important to meet with other believers. And there's a lot of exciting things happening now with ministries. You know, there's new lines on the pavement. That's great to see. Um, <laughs> now we have like, you know, proper parking. So yeah, that's a big plus. I can't take any credit for that though. So don't, uh, don't give me any praise. That was all the elders and stuff. They had that planned way before I came. Um, you know, and as important as it is that we meet on Sunday morning, one thing I think that is, I would even say maybe more important is that we meet together throughout the week. So whether that's a small group, it doesn't have to be a small group, but I think small groups are a very easy way to do that. But I think having relationships with other believers where you can encourage one another, you can pray with one another, have honest conversations. Because, you know, sometimes on a Sunday morning when there's so many people it's difficult sometimes to have those heart-to-hearts where you can really talk about like what's going on in me right now, what's going in my heart, you know, what's going on. When I was in Edmonton, I worked on a construction crew. I should say it was just me and another guy, but he was the boss and I was working for him. And um, he was a Christian. I just, I valued that time so much because we would just often at lunchtime talk about you know, how our week is going, what's going on in our lives, and just being able to pray for one another. It was such a valuable experience. Um, I'm still pretty brand new, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen Sessink. Um, now, I want to say that most of you are aware that I moved from Alberta to here, but I do want to mention I was born in London, Ontario. So, you know, I'm not like, I'm kind of coming back to my roots, I like to think a little bit, so, um, but I will say I am a bit of an Oilers fan, but... If we watch a game together and there's food, you may persuade me to cheer for another team. So I'm open for persuasion this morning. Just thought I would let you know. Um, this week, uh, we're continuing on the series Formed in the Image of Jesus. And I'm going to be kind of focusing on rest and how rest is so important for us in Jesus. So I'm just going to reorganize my notes here a little bit. Um, I want you to think back over your life, maybe over the last 10 years or so. And can you remember a time in your life when you were tired? Maybe a time in your life where you had trying to figure things out. I mean, I think in some ways maybe COVID, that was a time for all of us when <laughs> we were just tired. Um, but where you struggled with maybe who you were, where maybe there was a sense that you didn't have inner peace, struggling with your identity, I remember a time in my life, not too long ago, about two years ago, where I really struggled with identity. I really struggled with inner peace. I didn't know how to rest. Now, I was working in a city called Grand Prairie. I'm guessing most of you probably don't know where that is, but it's in Alberta, and it's kind of in the northern part of Alberta. So it's kind of, it's, it's a very isolated place. And there, it's, it's kind of a rough city. It's a tough city. The city there is basically runs on oil and gas. There's not really any other industry in the area. It has the largest, I believe, natural gas fields in the world there. And so in Grand Prairie, you get a lot of wealth. 
but then you also have a lot of poverty because there's a lot of people that are addicted to drugs. There's just, there's, there can be a lot of violence, mental health issues that are up there. And so it was interesting to live there and work there and to see kind of this, um, almost a dichotomy, almost kind of this juxtaposition of, you know, you can see extravagant wealth, but then you also see extreme brokenness. But the truth is also, sometimes the people with extreme wealth, there was just a lot of brokenness, but it was inside. You just couldn't see it, you know. And I remember I moved there because I was so frustrated living in Edmonton. I felt my life was going nowhere. You know, this had been kind of a year into COVID and I was still healing from my divorce. And I was, you know, I'd graduated seminary, but I wasn't looking for pastoral work. And so I was just, I was just frustrated and just thinking like, what am I doing here in Edmonton? So I packed my bags. I had a friend who lived near Grand Prairie in Acreage in a very beautiful place. And I went to live with him and his family and I just worked with him. He, had, he worked for a company. He was high up in a company. He was a supervisor. And so I kind of was working kind of more at the bottom of the pole, but it was still, you know, working there. And in Grand Prairie, people work long hours because it's the gas, it's the oil industry. And so I remember working like more than 60 hours a week at times. You know, I'd wake up at 5.40 a.m. I still hate this. Even talking about this, like, <laughs> I don't like it. I remember it now. Getting up at 5.40 a.m., uh, heading to the site for seven, usually is about a half hour drive, and then, you know, work till seven, sometimes later than that. And so you're working 12 hour days, sometimes longer than that. And it was just, it was a grind. I remember too, I don't know if you guys remember, a couple years ago there was a heat wave and it was in Alberta, and it got up to plus 45, which is like, we were all like looking at each other like, this is nuts. Like, why are we working right now? And I remember we actually started like three in the morning because we're just like, we got to start as early as we can because this heat is crazy. And then the winter would come, and being in northern Alberta, it drops to below minus 30. And so, like, it's, it was tough. And I remember there being only four or five hours of sunlight in the winter, and I'm just thinking, Lord, what in the world is going on? Why, I am, why am I not pastoring, Lord? Why did I spend all this money on seminary? Why did I spend all this time reading books? you know, trying to follow you. And now I'm stuck in this giant rock truck. Sometimes I drive these big, I'm not sure if you've seen those big giant yellow trucks. I would drive sometimes those and dump, take huge loads. Or sometimes I'd be down in these giant trenches because I would help kind of install these big water lines that they put down or like big sewer lines. And so I was involved with that kind of a work. But I remember being down there and just thinking, Lord, I have a master's degree. Why am I working on a sewer line? Like this doesn't make any sense. And if you listen to kind of the voice in my head, you'd see that I didn't have any peace. I was struggling with myself. I was struggling with my identity, with my work. And maybe this morning you yourself are struggling. Maybe you're struggling with God, with your circumstances. Maybe you have pain. Maybe you have sickness. And I want to say this morning, it's not wrong to struggle. In fact, I encourage you to wrestle with God. I think God wants us. But for me... It was a deeper issue. I was struggling because I had an identity issue and how I valued myself. When we struggle with our identity, you know, we can often struggle with our value and we can't enjoy the rest Christ offers because we have this identity. We're trying to figure ourselves out. We're trying to give ourselves worth. But this morning, I believe Jesus wants to lead us into rest. He wants to lead us into his peace. I think Jesus desires that we experience his peace and rest in our circumstances. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're good. Lord, I pray as you read your scriptures, Lord, you open them up to us, that we'd understand 
Lord, I pray that you encourage this congregation this morning. Speak through me, Lord, as you've been speaking through the service already. In your name, amen. So if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up. Or if you've got it on your phone, open it up there too. And we're going to turn to Matthew eleven twenty-five, And we're going to read verses 25 to 30. So just to give you a bit of context before we get into the here, is Jesus has been ministering around the towns. He's been going in the land of Israel. He's been talking to people. And now he's kind of getting to this point where he's kind of denounced a whole bunch of the towns because the people weren't repenting. They weren't turning from their sin. And so then this is kind of sets the scene for this passage. Matthew eleven twenty five to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because of this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal to him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. First thing I wanted to cover this morning is that We can't rest in pride. We cannot rest in pride. Matthew 11, 25 to 26 says, At this time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to the infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. Now, I believe here in this passage, Jesus is using metaphorical language. So when he uses the word wise and intelligent and humble, he's actually using those to stand in for something. Because in the Gospels, we do have wise and learned people that follow Jesus. We have Nicodemus. We have others. But if we remember last week, it's generally the religious class, the ruling class, that rejects Jesus. And I believe the infants here also represent what I would call the humble, those who are dependent on God. During the time of Jesus, there were people who professed to be wise and learned people. In the Pharisaical tradition, there was often a high emphasis placed on kind of traditional knowledge. Can you say the sayings of the rabbis before you? Can you continue on this knowledge? And so this knowledge was kind of given a very high, um, what would you say, class. People looked up to it. The further you could go back in time into antiquity, kind of the, the more sense of status you had as a teacher. They could say, you know, I am better than you. Like, you're less than me. Don't you know that I know all these traditions? And some of us may use knowledge today to feel secure and confident, but Jesus often challenges these attitudes of finding security in being wise or considering oneself one wise. In the Old Testament, we're often warned against those who consider themselves wise in their own eyes. This isn't in the the slides here. But Isaiah 9, 24 states, I will again do amazing things with these people, shocking and amazing The wisdom of the wise shall perish, and the discernment of the discerning shall be hidden. Proverbs 3.7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And finally, Proverbs 26.12, Do you see persons wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for fools than them. Scripture in the Old Testament warns us multiple times here, and in also numerous other passages, the dangers of considering self one wise or learned. 
I'll be honest with you, Evergreen, this morning, I was one of those people that considered myself wise and learned. When I was working in Grand Prairie in the land development construction, you know, I mentioned how I'd be driving the truck and they'd be loading me up with the excavators and I'd go dump the soil and all the time while I was driving, I was frustrated. I was angry with God. Lord, what am I doing? How come I'm not pastoring? Lord, there are pastors that I know, Lord, that do a worse job than I would do, Lord. I do a better job than them. That's, that's what I was thinking. Lord, how come this person gets to preach? They, they suck. I mean, like, that's honestly, that's what I thought sometimes, the way that I would judge other pastors. And I would say, Lord, you know, I'm not perfect, Lord, but I'm better than they are. They have all kinds of problems, Lord. And Lord, I did well at school. Lord, I'm talented. You know, I was just showed how much I put my identity in something. And can you hear it in my voice? It was contempt. It was pride. I was judging others, looking at myself better than them. I was exalting myself because I was dissatisfied with where I was. I wasn't at rest. Constantly, my mind was going to places where it should not have gone, where God wanted to make me humble. He didn't want to do this to take a strip off me. God's not like that. But he wanted me to be made more into God's image, into Jesus' image. And to do that, he had to humble me. And my being was not in a state of rest, but of pride, striving, false identity. I remember driving that rock truck, rock truck back and forth. Um, basically, what was happening is we were digging this big lake out. And it, basically, what we do is they fill me with the, excava uh, the excavator, would fill the rock truck, and they'd drive to this big basically hill of soil, and I'd dump the soil. And I literally did that probably like 100 loads a day. So you can imagine how kind of monotonous that gets just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I would get so angry. And I remember I was praying one time, and I was like, God, what do you want from me? Like, what do I need to do to get out of Grand Prairie and to do something else? And I felt like God said to me, rest. And I was like, well, God, that doesn't really help me Get out of Grand Prairie. <laughs> like, what do you mean rest? And I just felt like for years, like two years, he just said rest. And I remember just getting so frustrated. I was like, Lord, like, tell me something else. Like, why do you keep on saying rest? Like, this is, this is, I mean, I felt it was just stupid. And I was just like, I don't get it, God. But I needed to rest. I needed to lay down my pride and just rest in who Jesus was. See, what pride does is it creates identity in something other than Jesus. Pride becomes a place that we can give ourselves worth. Pride says, take worth in your accomplishments. Take worth in what you've done. But the problem is, when we begin to take worth in these things that we've accomplished or things that we're good at, what happens is we begin to project that onto the outside. We begin to judge others by what we take pride in. Often people that, you know, have, um, that take pride in appearance or academics, or physical ability, they can quickly begin to judge others by that. It becomes very easy to become judgmental when we're prideful. And all too quickly, we become walled up from Jesus because we're not seeing people how Jesus sees them. We're seeing them by kind of our grid. And I think we have to remember that Jesus himself was not someone who people looked at and thought, oh, I want to be like him. Isaiah 53 comments about the suffering servant and who Jesus is. This is what Isaiah 53, 2-3 says. 
He grew up before him like a young plant and a root out of dry ground. He did not have impressive former majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone from people who turned away from. He was despised. We did not value him. God doesn't put values in the things that society often puts values. When we have pride, it means Jesus is not determining our self-worth. And we can never truly rest in a place of pride because that can be taken away from us. We've all heard of, you know, that famous athlete who is, you know, like he's going places, he's going to go somewhere, and all of a sudden he gets into a car accident, you know, and they can't do anything. Or he gets caught taking drugs and his career is taken away from him. Or someone who's very wealthy, they do a bad business deal and then all of a sudden they go bankrupt. When we put our pride and our worth in things that aren't Jesus, they can be taken away because they're, they're temporal. They can be easily lost. And sometimes it's not even our fault. The prideful person is really stuck in a prison. It's a prison of their own making. And Jesus was stripping my false identity in Grand Prairie and I, I didn't like it, but it needed to happen. This morning, we can rest in the revelation of the Father. We can rest in the revelation of the Father. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, it says, All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. And in this passage, Jesus is doing something very interesting. He's revealing his authority in his relationship with God the Father. And Jesus here is making a significant shift from the traditions of that day. As I mentioned before, Pharisees or teachers would often call upon the passwords of other rabbis and they'd use those traditions to teach. But here Jesus is coming and he's saying, you know, like I'm speaking directly from the Father. And so there's this sense that he's kind of going against what had, been happen that had happened before him. Jesus isn't teaching from something abstract. He's not teaching from something that's far away, but he's revealing the Father through himself. He's the one who reveals the Father. Do you know God the Father? Would you say you know him? Does the way we talk about God look like Jesus? Like the way that Jesus talks about his Father? If it doesn't, if the way we view God doesn't look like Jesus, we may have a problem. We may need to ask Jesus, Lord, show me your heart. Help me to understand the Father. For most of my Christian life, I could not rest in God. I thought God was harsh. I thought he was angry. I thought the only time I could rest in Jesus was when I was living well for Jesus, when I was checking the boxes. But the problem with checking the boxes is that you're not actually even resting in Jesus then. You're just resting in checking the boxes in your accomplishments. I remember when I was a pastor in my early 20s, I was very legalistic. I would fast once a week. I would pray for at least an hour a day. I'd memorize scripture. And I had these lists of these things of how I judged how I was doing with Jesus. And what would happen? I would begin to judge other pastors by that same list that I had made. And let me tell you, this way of living was the exact opposite of rest. I was tired, and I was always at tension within myself. 
I based my worth, my identity, my relationship with Jesus based on how well I was doing. My version of God did not look like Jesus. My version of God was a God I had to please, I had to placate, I had to make him happy. This morning, the scripture says that God is love. He's not wrath, he's not anger. The scriptures never use anger or wrath as the way that it uses love to describe God. This is God is love. God is not anger. And let me say this morning that God does have anger at times, certainly, but do you know why? It's because God is love. See, God is a loving God that cares for his creation and he loves humanity. And he's brokenhearted when he sees creation destroyed, when he sees humans that are hurt, when humans that are made in each other's image desecrate one another, destroy one another. That's why he becomes angry. It's not kind of this, I'm an angry God and I need to do something. He gets angry because he's love, because he sees what happens sometimes when people destroy one another. And even in that anger, his heart is not to pour out his anger, but to restore and to redeem. Jesus is the truest revelation of the Father. When do we see Jesus angry in the scriptures? We see him angry when truth is withheld from people, when there's oppression of the poor, when people use religion to raise themselves up and to lower others down. But it comes from a place of love for those people. I remember one time when I was a youth pastor and I was, I'd often go for prayer walks and I remember just praying and I was struggling and I felt like Jesus said to me, do you think that my grace is any less for you when you're doing well, quote unquote, or when you're doing poorly? Do you think that my grace is somehow now better because you're doing well, that you're less any worthy to receive it? And it would take about 10 years for that statement to kind of soak into my being. Cause it's like, I could think about it like logically, okay, like, yes, Lord, your grace is the same for me, regardless as if I, you know, like following you the best I can or not. But I didn't, I didn't work that way. I didn't operate that way. It took 10 years of the Holy Spirit to finally get it through to me when I was in Grand Prairie. This morning, we can rest in Jesus. We can rest in Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, when Jesus uses the imagery of a yoke, you know, often we think of like two oxen, you know, the classical like kind of wood thing that goes over top. And this is true. We had animals that would have yokes. But also in the ancient world, often the poor would have yokes. They wouldn't have enough money for an animal. So sometimes they would have a yoke and then they would till a field with a yoke on their back. Now, I want to say that obviously this wasn't common. This is among the poor. But the yoke in scriptures is actually a metaphor that's often used. And it's often shown submission or kind of obedience or kind of under the rule of someone. And obviously if it's, you know, someone who's not a kind master, it could be seen as oppression under the yoke. In the book of Isaiah, Yahweh promises his people Israel that he's going to release them from the yoke of bondage and oppression. And so then here Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And teachers such as the wise and learned is, we had heard from before, the Pharisees would often use language like this, take my yoke upon you, or take the yoke of the kingdom. And this would be essentially saying, take on my teachings, take on my tradition. But Jesus is saying that these traditions from these Pharisees don't bring life. They're heavy. 
The rules stacked on one another. Rules that are used to determine who's in and who's out. And if you're not following all those rules, well, you're not part of the people of the covenant. And Jesus' yoke wasn't based on earlier traditions, but on the revelation of the Father. Jesus' yoke is lighter because he is a master who goes to the humble in heart. Craig Keener, a New Testament scholar, I came across this, said this in his commentary on this passage. And he says, Jesus' yoke is not lighter because he demands less, but because he bears more of the load with the burdened. In contrast to the unconcerned religious teachers who prided themselves on their position, Jesus was going to lay down his life for his sheep. The gospel tradition repeatedly emphasizes that the Lord of the universe is humble and prefers to dwell with the humble, the little ones. If Jesus is meek, the people in whose lives he rules cannot be proud or self-centered either, for the kingdom of God belongs only to the meek. As Matthew 5, 5 states, blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. This morning, are we humble enough to accept the yoke that Jesus has for us? Or do we prefer our own yoke? I preferred my own yoke for years, the yoke of trying hard, of fasting, of praying, of memorizing scripture, of doing all these things. Maybe your yoke's different. Maybe it's appearance. Maybe it's wealth. And I want to say, you know, that none of these things are necessarily wrong. You know, having, having that, having money, having these other things are good. But when they become to define us, then there's a significant problem. Fasting, memorizing scripture, all these things are important. But I judged myself and I judged others. These are the things I found my rest in. I could never rest. I could never be still. I was a human doing rather than a human being. What are the yokes you use to judge people? I know here at Evergreen, we have a diverse set of people. Perhaps it's money, perhaps possessions, appearance, ideology. I want to say one thing that's really concerned me, not necessarily about this church, but what I've seen in society is the way we judge others who have different politics than us. Left and right, there can be almost this vitriol that I see on both sides when someone's not conservative enough or someone's not liberal enough or they don't agree with me on this issue. And we begin to judge people and we begin to see them as lesser. It's not wrong for all us to hold you know, political positions on many issues, but we have to be very careful how we hold those and ask, is this my master or is Jesus? And there's a danger that we assume our politics matches Jesus' politics. We always have to come back to Jesus and ask like, Lord, how would you do this? How do you see this? It can be easy to see people as lesser, to see people who are just broken, but rather instead of seeing that they are made in the image of Jesus. And though we may have brokenness, that's all of us this morning, made in the image of God with some brokenness. You see, the yokes and the judgments and the value systems we use to judge others often stops us from seeing others being in his image. We forget that Jesus is the one who designates our worth. All the time in Grand Prairie, I was striving for self-worth. I was striving for position. I was striving to, you know, kind of be ahead. But all that was is I was just running from my pain. I was running from my brokenness. My pride was just a cover. I had to come to the place where I'm saying, Lord, 
Just form me into your image. I could only accept rest once I was able to do that. I remember coming to the place like, Lord, I have no idea what you're doing. And I'm going to stop trying to figure you out because this is driving me crazy. I just had to come to the place saying, Lord, just form me into your image this morning. Every day when I go to work, it just, that became my prayer, Lord. Lord, just form me into your image. Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're doing something. And so I just submit to that. And once I began to submit myself to that, I began to enter rest because all of a sudden, all these things that I put so much value in, I was able just to give them to Jesus and just said, okay, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I can just rest in you now. And it didn't mean that I all of a sudden liked driving a rock truck. I did not all of a sudden, I was like, oh, yay, rock truck time. No, that wasn't, I wasn't all of a sudden happy to do these things. I still had to deal with a kind of that conflict, but all of a sudden my stress went way down I was just able to be with other people. I was able to listen to other people instead of judging them, instead of thinking about what I want to do. Tamil, if you want to come up and lead us in reflection. We are... Oh, goodness, he's tall, isn't he? <laughs> we are living in a world where living from that place of inner rest that Pastor Stephen um, spoke about is incredibly countercultural. We're living in a culture where we are surrounded by noise and activity, where we uh, value